Yeah, just if you're worried, there's, uh, you can hear the sermon in Kids Cave as well. Um, if, you, if somebody could pull those double doors to, that would be great. Then we can't hear the kids in Kids Cave if those are, like, some of the smallies are going out there. That would be fabulous. Uh, excellent. Well, welcome, everybody. Um, we've got nearly as many people here this morning as we had on Christmas morning. We were packed on Christmas morning. Um, so, and and this, is our, this is that weird weekend, isn't it? This is the, well, it's not quite Christmas. It's not New Year. And I'm full of food, so I'll stay at home in bed or visit relatives. This is why the church looks like this this morning. But we're here. We made it. And it's great to see you. Um, I'm going to talk about kind of Christmas this morning. Is that all right after Christmas has gone? Oh, my word. It's, it's like I can't, I can't watch Christmas films now. It just doesn't, I, I, I'd like, I, I tried to watch a Christmas film and it just felt wrong because Christmas Day had been and gone. And, and it's like, oh. but on the other hand, don't worry, everybody. 361 days to Christmas. Come on! I'm certain that's, I'm not quite sure. Let's just check on my phone. How many days it is to Christmas? I need to, just, I need to know that now. I need to... 362. I was wrong, was I? I do apologise. It's a leap year, of course. It's a leap year. Let's just... Here we go. Yeah, 362 days it is. We'll start to get your sprouts cooking now. We'll start planning next year's Christmas service already. Um, wow, you think I'm kidding. We will, all, we will be talking about Christmas at Easter this year. We always do. It's bonkers. Well, the, that was Christmas. I don't know what you did for Christmas. Uh, I don't know if you got everything that was on your Christmas list. And we had a bit of a show and tell on Christmas morning. It was brilliant. It went on for it. There's so many shows. It gets bigger every year, doesn't it, show and tell? I don't know if you got everything you wanted. I was talking to one dad this morning. He got Christmas socks. <sighs> I've got my Christmas socks on. It had to be done. Got my Gryffindor socks on this morning. I know for some of you that's probably heresy or something, but my wife knitted me a Gryffindor <laughs> scarf for winter. Crocheting, sorry, I do apologise. Crocheting me a Gryffindor scarf. Christmas is so different for everybody. Christmas, people have their own family traditions, their own shape of, well, we're about to get dry powdered. <laughs> Has anybody ever seen one of those go off by mistake? I once had one of those go off in my van when I was driving it. It fell off the rack and fired. Wow. I looked like an abominable snowman when I got out. I couldn't breathe. I don't know Christmas, but we all have our different priorities at Christmas. There are things we've got to do, things that need to happen, the certain order that things have to be in. People we have to, and we have this, this kind of tradition of priorities around Christmas that is so important to us. And if things don't quite work out, Christmas is just not the same. Priorities. I want to say that Christmas should be full of tradition. That's fine because that gives us security and we can enjoy things. But Christmas is more about getting our priorities right because priorities bring movement and change. They focus us on new things. You know, nothing is the same again when Christmas is properly Christmas because the ultimate expression of that is the Scrooge story. Who watched BBC Scrooge? Who was deeply disappointed? It was kind of good in its own right. But where were the Muppets? 
It just wasn't. You can't do Scrooge without Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy and Gonzo and Rizzo the Rat. It's just not the same. Um, I don't want to look at an aspect of Christmas that's traditional this year, and I want to shatter your understanding of Christmas for some of you that will still think that the, the kings were kings. Um, so I need, I need three kings, please, this morning. Anybody willing to be a king? I'm gonna, you're not going to be a king for long, so I'm going to tell you you're not a king. Go on, Gary, you're be my king. Come on, come on up. I oh, know you can't just sit there waving at me. I knew you were a volunteer. Come on, Neil, I might as well have a full set of, like, full set of jokers, mine to... Don't stand that side of me. I can't, I can't move you both sides of me. That's too scary. <coughs> so we brought out Hope House Church's brightest and best. Not, not here, obviously. Thank you. Would you like to pull each other's crackers, please? And inside it, you'll find crowns. Yeah, that, yeah I like that. Somebody's won a sewing kit. Yep. Screwdrivers, quality screwdrivers. Thank you. Get your crowns on. You need your crowns. Oh, we've got a, a, one of the metal puzzles that nobody ever actually tries to do. Don't do the jokes. Get your crowns on. These are our three kings. It's not technically, and come on, you can do it. It always amuses me, don't start. Just stand there and look sensible. <laughs> I have so got the wrong three stood here. This is, this is, we're going to address the story of the three wise. You can tell we're doing relaxed church this morning, can't you? This is not, this is not deep teaching. This is the story of the three uh, kings. I just want to tell you, uh, normally in, in a week or so time, we're in Tenerife and we get to celebrate Christmas again on Kingsbury, but you guys are going to be there, so um, celebrate for us while you're there. Um, we do three kings. They, they celebrate the king's arrival with gifts. Here are our kings. Oh, don't they look a great... Well, probably specimen is probably the best. The best. They're, they're a great specimens of kingliness. The three wise men, the magi, who came to worship Jesus, and they posed for a, a, a portrait with the shepherds around the... You know, you've, you've all seen the card, because that's historically accurate, isn't it? There's a, there's a little wooden stable, often with no back for some reason, and, and Mary and Joseph and shepherds and a sheep, and the three kings and a camel, a donkey... Jesus with a gold plate behind his head. And for some reason, when we do it in school, there's usually a penguin and a lobster there as well. I don't know why there's a... I watched Love Actually the other day. There's a penguin, a lobster, and a blue whale. Um, so all historically accurate, obviously. I just want to tell you that the image of these three kings, I'm going to give you some history about this, is completely wrong. There were not... Three kings. Some of you probably know this anyway. It's so, you are not biblical. Sorry, guys, but you are not biblical. Maybe some of you don't know this. Maybe some of you know, but I'm going to bust their myth this morning. Kings, you're sacked. Take your crowns off because you didn't have them. Take your seats where you belong amongst the crowd. Oh. 
For a brief moment, you were important. You were kings for a day. Well, about five minutes. We have misconceptions about the three kings that I'm going to stop calling kings because they weren't kings. Okay? Don't know where that came from. But we will consider, you know, we think there are three because there were three gifts made by the wise men. So we're going to look at these gifts and just very briefly touch on what they were about. But we're also going to consider three practical applications that we can learn from the wise men and the priorities that they discovered, the changes that they made. So if you would, um, would you open your Bibles? We've got some technical issues. Our amazing tech team have managed to get stuff together so we've got a computer working this morning. Uh, please, guys, just appreciate them because they, they do just juggle quietly and work so hard for us. Um, just so you know, like, just before we had the carol service, all videos and all this, the computer just stopped. It died. So instead of going, oh, that's it, with no carol service, these guys chased around, fixed, mended, cobbled, sorted out, got this ancient laptop going and did also, and they get, we started all the videos and stuff. So you know, these guys worked so hard, and they did it completely unflappably, never looked worried at all at any moment. <laughs> they looked completely chilled at all times. That's despite me, so kind of, what have you done? What have you done? Is it going to work? Is it going to work? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. That's why there's no PowerPoint today, by the way. Matthew chapter 12, two, chapter, verses 1 uh, to 12. So the kings are mentioned in 12 sentences. We're going to read their 12 sentences. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the... Uh, I don't know which version I've put this in from. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. I think I've used the... Uh, not the I think I've used the English... Uh, version, not the NIV. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem, in Judea, uh, for thus it is written uh, by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for this young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me, and I may go, and then I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. Till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when, he saw the, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts, of it, gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then, being divinely warned in a dream, they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. It's very familiar. Actually, I remember why I did that version. Somehow the NIV didn't sound like Christmassy enough. So I went for the bit that said things like, Behold, and verily, because it just sounded more Christmassy. And I normally do a contemporary English version. But there are three misconceptions about the wise men, and we can find them all in that story. There are lots of lessons in that story. The wise men are always seen in our Christmas cards, in plays and nativities, these three guys that rock up with these three gifts, and they're usually depicted as being three random nationalities to be, to be all-inclusive and 
politically correct. So three things, the total. First of all, the total. No one in Scripture was told there were three wise men. The term used is plural. There was, there was more than one, but we don't know how many. So just move from your heads three, because what I'm going to tell you is there was a huge entourage. The number three, of course, is based on the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the three gifts that they brought. There could have been three, but virtually any number is likely. You've got to imagine that there was a huge entourage. Just think, if three fellows turn up, how were they going to get access to a palace? There'd just be three guys that turned up. They weren't going to get an audience with a king. What they did, they arrived with an all entourage of people. I'll explain why later, but a huge group of people, camel trains, guards, uh, an honor guard with them to, to take care of them, and all the cooks and bottle washers and everybody else. A huge, rich and wealthy entourage would have turned up and therefore gained access to a palace. So get out of your mind these three guys on donkeys that you see on the Christmas cards coming over the hill. It would have been way bigger than that. So we know the total was wrong. Their title... No one in Scripture are they called kings. I'm going to really freak you out in a minute. This description was probably based on Psalm 72 and Isaiah 49, which talks about bringing gifts, the kings bringing gifts to Israel's Redeemer. But actually, it's talking about a different context. It's not specifically talking about Christ there. 700 years after the Bible was written, the New Testament was written, we gave the kings' names. Anybody know the kings' names? Balthazar. Casper, Melchior. What? Casper the friendly ghost, Balthazar, and Melchior. In Scripture, they're simply called wise men or magi. Magi is the word we get wise men or magician from. This is where Harry Potter comes in. This is why Harry Potter is festive. It's why my socks are legitimized by Scripture. I am so offending some people in by saying that. <laughs> the root of magi means people that tried to study the stars, tried to understand magic and understand dreams. And when we say magic, we talk about early science. They didn't understand science. They were beginning to work out science so that it seemed like magic. And so that's when they were like alchemists trying to work these things out. So it came across as magic. I'm sure there's some dodgy stuff going off as well. But the big deal is they were almost certainly Persian, Iranian, from the Persian Empire. Because what we got was a whole set of kingdoms to the east and then the whole Roman Empire kingdom to the west. And these guys came from the east, from the Persian Empire. It's talking about people that were trained in astrology, dream interpretation, alchemy, all these kinds of things. Iran and the Persian Empire... They love to stargaze. They love to understand the stars. Much of what we know now, we've learned from their studies. And they tried to link it with political events. They were big on horoscopes. Anybody read your newspaper horoscope? Good. My face might have told you, don't. Neither do you open your Bible and put your finger on a random verse and think that might be like your Christian version of horoscope. That doesn't work either. Don't. But here were a group of people desperately trying to understand things and thinking the stars could tell you about what was happening politically and in people's lives. They were desperately searching for answers. 
They were obviously astrologers because they came in response to a new star they discovered in the sky and thought to themselves, hey, we've been studying, and this is the, this is the thing, they've been studying the cultures and beliefs of other nations and understood that there was an expectation of a Messiah and a new king. And there was such an expectation of a Messiah and a new king in Israel, they were looking for some sign of that. Interestingly, the whole Roman Empire at the time was saying to itself, something new is coming, we need somebody to step in, we need a new saviour, we need something big to happen. So there's an expectation. So these Persian wise men, these magi, these astrologers, these studiers of culture were saying, let's look for something. Maybe this star we found, maybe that's the answer. Maybe this is the symbol. They were searching, they're a bit kind of blind, aren't they, with it? But I think maybe God was smart enough and wise enough and incredible enough to say, let's start with where these people are. Let's start with where these people are and bring them on a journey to where they can be, to the Christ. Their timing was important. Nativity scenes regularly depict the three kings kneeling with their gifts before the manger with the shepherds, you know, the, the picture we're all familiar with. You've probably, I've got one on my mantelpiece. Anybody else got a nativity scene on your mantelpiece? Oh, I've got a really posh, nice one. It's all wooden carved and it looks all pretty and nice because it's historically and theologically nonsense. But it's nice. The, stop it. The reality is, we know from Scripture, that when did you see this, chi- this star rise? Oh, a year or two back. By the time they get there, Jesus is a toddler. He might even be walking and talking. It's a, up to a couple of years later. And the Bible says they went to the house. Not the stable. It's very possible that they knocked on the door and Jesus opened it and said, Oh! And shouted, Mummy. We've got a lot of important looking people outside. Clearly states that they went to a house. There were no cattle lowing, no shepherds were present, and there was no baby in a manger. There was a little boy toddling around a house. Enough time had passed for Joseph to secure a place for his family to live. It's very important to understand that we're not talking about pretty pictures here at Christmas. We're talking about a real adventure over a period of time. We're talking about a story that God's involved in. And God was involved in the lives of shepherds, but God is involved in the journey of discovery and adventure, change, a new priority for these wise men. Mary and Joseph had moved into their brand new starter home. And in that brand new starter home, incredibly wealthy wise men, an entire entourage. I just want you to imagine, you sat in your front room this afternoon and there's a knock at the door. And you open the door and there are camels and carts and wise Persian men An entourage of people filling the street saying, we've come to find the new king. Apparently he lives in the Barrett starter home. You imagine that? Because that's what they've, that is literally what scripture describes. That is what went off. But I love that these pagan astrologers go to find a king. They look for a king, but they find a Christ. They understand they, it was a tradition that they would take gifts to any new king right across the kingdom right into the roman empire the the persians would send an entourage to give a gift to a newborn king so this is actually quite normal behavior what isn't normal behavior is the minute they see him they fall on their faces and worship 
They fall on their faces and worship. They literally, it says, fall. They give their all. They don't just offer worship and thanksgiving. It's a physical act of spiritual worship. There is something significant happens when this takes place. They brought gifts. And it may be an outrageous, ridiculous scene I've painted, but that is literally the scene that would have looked outrageous and ridiculous at the time, even then. When they come to give gifts and worship in a sense of honoring, but when they met him, they worshiped spiritually, they gave themselves and fell prostrate before him. When you fall prostrate before a king, you do that before the king of kings. In Persia, the king of kings is the high king of all the kings. When they fell on their faces before this child, they were falling on their face before the king of kings. Herod liked to call himself king of kings. Caesar Augustus liked to see himself as king of kings. The Persian emperor liked to see himself as king of kings. And these wise men fell on their faces before the king of kings and worshipped. They had gone on a journey and shifted their priorities. Something new had happened. They brought frankincense for a priest, myrrh for the one that would die. And they recognized that these gifts were so, so important. Gold for the king that they were worshipping. But one indictment this story is. These pagan horoscope people that were trying to search and trying to understand what the world was and trying to understand who God was and trying to understand what their life was about and trying to understand what worship was, trying to understand the times and know what to do because they were desperately trying to do that. What an indictment that these, these non-religious wacky people found the Christ child and found salvation, brought worship, and the religious elite, the people that knew, didn't bother coming to worship. But incredibly, the religious elite of the day were able to point to where Jesus was. But it never occurred to them that they could go and worship. Never occurred to them that they could go and recognize him. So they had all the words, they had all the knowledge, but none of the heart. None of the relationship with God. They just had head knowledge. They'd never given themselves to God. They just simply knew things. These pagan wise men, they wanted to have heart and relationship. And so they knew lots of things, but they were searching. Scripture says, when you search, you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And I believe that's what these guys were doing. See, with the religious leaders, they thought they'd got it all already. They'd actually thought they didn't need the Messiah anymore. But there is no right of birth here, but a rebirth gift of salvation, yeah. an inheritance of the promises of God. So I'm, I, I, I make no excuses or give explanations or apologies, but I believe we inherit all the promises of God when we fall before him in worship and call him our saviour. Yeah. I don't have to be born in a certain country or have a certain historical heritage I simply need to fall on my face and worship the Lord. And I inherit all the promises of God. And so this is my call to salvation this morning for all of us to remember we can have a head full of Christian knowledge, but we need to be worshippers of Christ. And that is a lifestyle. That is the way we live. That is the way we breathe. That is who we give ourselves to. It's not just knowledge. It's living it. So where are the priests? They're in Herod's palace seeking favor, favor with political power. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4 says this is a letter written to the early church. Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man but to please God 
will test our hearts. You know, the priests at that time around Herod, their hearts were tested and they failed. The pagans' hearts were tested and they passed. They searched for Christ and found him. The priests who knew Christ rejected him. Church, let's be those people that search for Christ and find him. Let's be people that don't just talk about who Jesus is, but live it. I don't want to be part of a church that simply says to Barnes, oh yeah, Jesus is real, I can tell you where to find him, but never get to know him myself. We want to be people that carry him. We want to be people that live it, people that own it. So when, when we all rock up at Morrison's, because that's where you all go afterwards, shopping, obviously you're only going there to pray because it's wrong to buy things on a Sunday. Or, or knit, or crochet, or anything like that, or watch telly, or go to the cinema, you don't know any of those things, on. So I was brought up in that kind of church. You go into those situations, and you, who you are, your demeanor, your attitude, the smile on your face, your attitude towards other people, your caring, there is something about you that should say, Jesus. Not just mental knowledge, but a lived experience. I don't want to have misplaced priorities. I don't want to be like priests that can simply say, oh, that's where Jesus is, but not knowing myself. I want to say, this is where Jesus is because I'm living with him. This is part of me. This is who I am. Jesus would upset the traditions of people and give new priorities. You know, I love traditions, but let's not worship our traditions. Let's worship the Lord. This is why I don't kind of wear... Um, well, I was about to say don't wear funny clothes. In your opinion, I may well wear funny clothes. <laughs> my collar is purple and is attached to my polo shirt. <laughs> but it is obviously divine purple for the Holy Spirit. Obviously. obviously. I, look, I have no problem with people carrying those traditions if it's right and what God has called them to do. And I... And I pray God bless them in that calling that opens doors and does things. But, you know, we've got a, a verse, up here, a line up here that's connecting real people to real God in real life. And here were three wise men, or however many wise men. Here's an entire entourage that were living real, they were living real people, and they connected to a real God in their real life. And that's who we must be. So that when we go to, look, I'm going to tell you a Costa story. I was so blessed yesterday. I'm stood in this really massive long queue. And the girl walked over and winked at me. It's not what you think. <laughs> I mean, that does happen to me all the time. Obviously, when you dress like I do and look like this, yeah, I mean, obviously girls wink at me all the time. Or is it rolling their eyes? I can never remember which it is. I think they roll their eyes at me. But she said, I've already made your drink. Soya Cortado. Christmas special. It's on the house. Happy Christmas. And I jumped the queue. I went back for another, but she charged me. But I, I absolutely believe that's because I chat to them every time I go in and they know what we do and I ask about Christmas and we tell them about church and they follow me on, on Facebook and they follow church on Facebook. And it's just one of those tiny ways where we live who we are. We live Christ. You can know things and study things, but you need to respond to the knowledge and live it out. Wise men were searching and got up and did something. They didn't just mentally know that a new king had been born. They went to search. 
And when you search, you'll find. You can't rest on your knowledge and experience. You've got to get your boots on and walk. Stepping out means you can step up into new experience of God. And as we're at this strange, pivotal point, whatever your last year has brought, here's one of the things. I'm not going to be talking about New Year's resolutions next, next week. I'm going to be talking about a decade ahead. I'm going to be starting a new series that's going to cover the whole decade. I'm not going to speak for the whole decade. Don't worry. But I'm going to be speaking into the decade. So this, this, this strange week, we, we can either do this thing where we, we bemoan all that's gone off this week and we carry any stresses or issues into the next, or we can carry the dreams and the possibility of Christ into our new year. And this moment is a time where it really is emotionally, psychologically, spiritually an opportunity to, to choose, to choose, to stay in a palace and hang on to our tradition or to go and find Christ. And to go and say, I'm going on the journey, I'm going on the adventure, I'm going to go and worship, I'm going to make it different. And we need, you know, I think God is really great. And I love our traditions like Christmas and New Year because they give us opportunities in God, actually, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, to say, you know, I've got a choice here to make. I can dither mentally trying to know all day long, or I can bow in worship and see what happens and welcome Christ into my life. Because I promise you this, when Christ enters in, suddenly it fits, it works. And, and I say that to people this morning that may not know Christ as our Savior, but I say it to those of us that already know Christ as our Savior, we have to invite him in. Knowing about him isn't enough, we've got to live him. The priests and Herod were static and prioritized preservation and position over praise. The minute you stand still, you stop living. Herod was already a dead man. God used what the Magi thought they knew, and he led them to the Christ. But they only found him after hearing the word of God. Understand this, when the priest explained the word of God and where Christ could be found, when they opened up scripture, when they opened up the prophetic word of God, then they found Christ. We need the prophetic word of God in our church. We need to know his word. And we need to hear the Holy Spirit inspired prophetic word of God that is rooted in the written word of God. That's who we need to be to embrace everything Christ has for us. If you search, you'll find, because God's on your case. All attempts to find God, or heaven, or peace, or anything else, are empty without Christ, without Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't say that to be offensive, I simply say that to repeat what Christ himself said, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. To grow and change, we need to... To grow and change, we don't need a resolution stirred up within us this year. We need a revelation of prophetic truth and the Word of God in us. It's the mistake of knowledge without action. There has to be action. There has to be response. I'm going to finish in, in a moment or two's time, so if the band wants to come back, you can look slightly awkward for ten minutes. We're so used to this story that the most startling thing about it has been lost, that pagans worshipping found the, long, the, the longed-for Messiah. Not chief priests and scribes, but people had a heart for the Lord. Colossians 3 says this, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I believe absolutely at that moment when the, the wise men the Magi, their entourage, bowed down and worshipped Christ. 
that was because they'd set their minds on things above, not on earthly things. They weren't interested in political power or influence. They were interested in things above. And things above change things on earth. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This morning I just want to say to us to assure us that whatever your personal situation, whatever your domestic situation, your employment situation, your town situation, your life situation, whatever it may be, setting our heart on things above changes those things on earth. Looking to Christ changes everything. And I know that sounds outrageous and ridiculous. As a long-standing Christian, there are times that sounds outrageous and ridiculous. Except I figured it this way. I am actually a fairly ordinary average bloke. And the truth is, my experience has been, and the written word of God backs up what that experience would be and says it is true. You look to Christ and everything on earth changes. Life shifts if we take action if we won't worship. We worship the issues, we worship the battles, we worship the sickness, we worship the troubles, we worship the unemployment, we worship the needs, or we can worship Christ. And when we worship Christ, when we present ourselves to Jesus, all those other things begin to fall into place. Then we can begin to address the emotional and the psychological. Then we can begin to address the physical sicknesses. Then we can begin to address the employment and the lifestyle and the situation and the setting. But it has to begin with giving ourselves to the Lord, with worship. And that's a reminder, not just for people that don't know Jesus yet, that is a reminder for those of us that have already given our lives to him. We can soon become religious and forget to worship. We can fill our heads with knowledge and let our hearts empty. Church, never think we've got it all. We're disciples will still need to journey and learn and grow. Never think it's too hard or you're in the wrong place. Christian life isn't searching for high points. It is about faithfully walking a journey. It's not God's will to remove every obstacle from our life because God expands his kingdom into our fallen world. And we're in that fallen world. And that can result in life pressure living in a fallen world, but pressure strengthens your dependence on and trust in God. Character and faith grow at that point. So church, we have an opportunity to worship this morning. You can never say you've got the t-shirt, you can never say you've done your bit, because the minute you say I've done my bit, you've built yourself a palace to rest in. And we need to get into town. We need to find the Christ child in the unlikely places. We need to find them on the street, in the corner shop, and with our family, and with our neighbours, with the people at work. Let me close by just reading this. There are many people who could explain the gospel story, but we must personally place our faith in Christ. In Philippians it says this, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of, of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Let's decide to move.
Let's decide to be different. Let's decide to bow the knee and to clothe ourselves with Christ. Let's decide to make that choice to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That is our new priority. Jesus. Clothing ourselves in him, living for him. Our priority is not a palace. Our priority is not knowledge and comfort. It is knowing him and living for him so i'm going to close by reading a prayer of commitment that we make when we first become christians and it's fine as a christian to make this recommitment prayer and to say amen and then we're going to have a song of worship to close and then we're going to have fellowship and coffee and conversation and just chance to catch up before we go and do our family things whatever they are this afternoon as we cling on to the last bit of the holiday season before reality bites But when reality bites, let's carry Christ. If you're not a Christian this morning, and I don't have everybody in the room, then you can pray this prayer as I'm saying it. Own it and say amen with me. And come and talk to me afterwards about the reality of knowing Christ and discovering the journey. Don't expect to know everything about Jesus the day you find him. You begin an apprenticeship that lasts all your life. So here's the prayer. Let's bow our heads. Let's, in fact, let's, let's, let's be at our heads. If you physically can, why, not, why don't we just stand together? And in this strange, pivotal weekend of, of neither one year or the next, where it doesn't quite feel like 2019, it doesn't quite feel like 2020, it doesn't quite feel like Christmas, it doesn't quite feel like the New Year's Eve celebration. It's that funny decision place in the middle. Let's pray this prayer and say amen after me together. If this is your heart, say amen. If it's not, that's fine. I'm not going to impose it on you. But if this is your heart this morning, then say amen. I'm just going to read this prayer of commitment out. Lord Jesus, I know I have done things wrong in my thoughts and words and actions. There are so many good things I've not done. There are so many wrong things I have done. I'm sorry for those wrong things and turn from everything I know to be bad. You gave your life for me in a cross and gratefully I give my life back to you. Now I ask you to come into my life. Come in as my saviour to clean me. Come in as my Lord to lead me. And I will serve you all the remaining days of my life. Lord, we pray that we would carry this wisdom into our living. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together. And please talk to me if you want to chat about anything I've said this morning afterwards. Let's close in worship and enjoy fellowship together.